and welcome to the EG Property Podcast. My name is Emily Wright and I am Head of Content at EG. And today we're talking about London redesigned, thinking creatively about affordable housing for key workers. Uh, For much of the past two decades, the issue of affordable housing has remained one of London's most stubborn challenges. Rapidly rising prices and rents have meant that many of the most valued frontline workers, including NHS staff, teachers and police officers, struggle to live within the community they serve. While the mayor has pledged to make key workers priority for available housing, um, are there any creative solutions that we should be looking at that can really help deliver quality, reliable and affordable accommodation in the capital and in particular for frontline workers on whose service the city really does depend. Today we're going to be looking at how buildings can be repurposed, redesigned, how we can rethink the urban environment and reusing of vacant spaces. Now, I'm joined by three people who couldn't be better placed to discuss these topics. Barbara Richardson, Managing Director of Square Roots, Olivia Harris, Chief Executive of Dolphin Living and Tim Lowe, Director of The Lowe Group. Hello to all of you today. Thank you very much for joining me. How are you? Morning. Fine. Thank you, Um, Emily. Yes, lovely. Morning. Yeah, feeling good today. Really pleased to be back in the office again. (laughs) Excellent. And Tim, how are you this morning? Very good as well, Emily. Thanks very much for having me uh, on the podcast. Not at all. So um, we're going to delve into some of those big issues that I was talking about just a second ago. But before we do that, um, I think it'd be good if we could speak to each of you just for a minute or two to talk about why this subject and topic is so important to you, why it's so close to your hearts. And within that, um, for those who don't already know, although with three names like this, I'd be surprised if there's many people listening who don't know, but a little bit about what you do, what you're up to, um, and why it's so important for you in the current roles that you're in. So Barbara, can we start with you? Because I know that you, you, you're sort of pretty new to where you are. That's right, Emily. I'm not obviously not new to the sector. I've been uh, within this sector, both um, from a private and a public point of view for over 25 years now, but um, but absolutely new to Square Roots as their managing director, which is a, a sort of new entrant into the market um, of affordable housing across London. I think from my point of view, why it's really important to me and to Square Roots, um, if you look at the, the amount of rented stock that actually sits in the London market, which is classed as affordable, held by lots of housing associations and local authorities. There's about 780,000 properties in total. And that's been the same for the last 18 years. Um, It hasn't moved. And that's because any new completions that have happened have sort of been offset by right to buy purchases that are still taking place across London. So it's really, really fundamental that although there is lots of housing associations um, and charities working really, really hard to deliver lots of new um, affordable homes, we're still losing lots that are genuinely affordable and generally an affordable rent for people to have to access. And the waiting list across London still remains at well in excess of 250,000 people. Um, So from my point of view, the problem isn't going away. It's just getting worse. Um, And we do have to be a lot more creative about how the politicians can help to give some kind of priority to frontline workers. Thank you very much. And Olivia? Yeah, so um, Dolphin Living are a housing charity uh, providing homes to rent for working Londoners on modest incomes, in particular key workers. So we're the build to rent provider who aims to minimise rents and maximise the number of affordable homes. Um, And why is there a need for an organisation like us? As Barbara said, due to the shortage of social housing nationwide, but particularly pronounced in London, 
Only those in acute housing need qualify for social housing, which means that many key workers don't qualify. So we need to find an alternative offer for key workers to ensure that we retain key workers in the city. Um, and I think, you know, the pandemic highlighted to us how much we rely on key workers. And one of the things we at Dolphin are sort of championing is an expanded definition of key workers, um, more in line with the government's definition of critical workers that we all relied on during the pandemic. So, um, yeah, I just, um, that those, are, those are the reasons. And just a little bit more about Dolphin. We own 800 homes in inner London with a further 300 under construction and in planning. And over 80% of our homes are let at a discount of at least 20% to market rent. And our affordable rents are on average 58% of the local market rent. And that's the sort of discount that is required in order for key workers to be able to afford to live near their place of work. Thank you very much. And finally, Tim. So the Low Group um, is a business which manages vacant buildings and by managing them, we deliver social impact in the process. Um, we started off as a property guardian company. Uh, the essence is that um, a vacant building um, gets fitted out and we place young professionals, key workers and creatives to occupy those spaces. Uh, in one of my first buildings I managed, which was a care home down in Camberwell, um, we had a number of uh, nurses and junior doctors who um, came to our building because they were struggling to find anywhere affordable and close to where they worked. Since then, we've launched the low key prioritization program and effectively what we do is um, when we're handed a property is we will go out to all the local hospitals, schools, um, ne our wider network and prioritize those key workers with affordable, safe, secure accommodation close to where they work. We have over 750 guardians living with us at the moment, of which 40% are key workers. Um, we're on a big drive at the moment to push that figure further up. And we've done some really excited projects with large scale developers who've come to speak to us pre-planning on their sites where we can look to house um, genuine key workers um, within a 10 minute uh, walking distance radius to where they work. And I think that proximity to work is a really important factor to it. We're really passionate about the space. Um, we really believe in the impact of these individuals have on the city and the importance of having them close to work and not commuting an hour, hour and a half to get to and from work. Thank you very much. Um, so let's talk about some of these issues that are being faced and hopefully that are being faced with innovative and creative solutions now. Um, Barbara, I'm going to come back to you. I mean, you said there that obviously you've been um, part of this industry for over 25 years now. And we're talking about um, a period of time that I think goes goes beyond the two decades I mentioned at the beginning, but looking at those last two decades. And that's obviously a period of time where you've had sort of a, an overview of what's been going on within the industry. And have you seen anything more sort of grounding and visceral, I suppose, than the pandemic for really highlighting just how much we need a solution to this problem? I don't think so, Emily. I think that there have been a couple of stages, um, obviously, when we had a, a ma major market crashes, always uh, bring highlights to situations for us in relation to um, provision of homes, because generally if house builders um, struggle and can't provide, they are generally one of the largest providers of affordable homes through their Section 106 contributions, as well as um, lots of joint venture partnerships that they do as well. Um, so I think um, when we have 
economic situations that affect um, those industries, then that also slows down to some degree some supply of affordable housing, albeit um, the housing sector, the affordable housing sector is very, very good at bouncing back, being flexible, being creative um, and trying to come up with solutions and trying to um, plug gaps when there are gaps in the market. And I think um, one of the elements for, for Square Roots and, um, you know, the, the brainchild behind Square Roots has actually come from a, a premium London house builder who has seen, you know, in lots of work they've done with partnerships with other housing associations and bringing forward really high quality sites in London, how difficult it is for young professionals or young people to actually buy something or rent something in the location where they want to be. I think Tim picked up very um, eloquently the fact that most key workers, you know, there are parts of London that are a lot more affordable, um, but not necessarily in the location where people want to be, um, where they aspire to be. Um, and that's really key and really fundamental. So whilst I think we need to be creative with the space we have and looking how we can repurpose that, the biggest issue for all frontline key workers and anybody wanting to access um, housing in London, uh, renting or buying, is just the sheer um, lack of supply. And the way to increase that has to be, you know, creative ways to pump supply into the system. Um, you know, Square Roots is quite unique because it has the um, backing, if you like. It, it comes with the, the pedigree of London Square. It can uh, rely on the capabilities and the knowledge and experience of London Square. And London Square have already identified uh, and secured, you know, seven sites, 860 homes that will all be affordable, either affordable rent, affordable shared ownership, and at rent levels that are at um, the GLA kind of capped rent levels. So, you know, £740 a month for a two bed, which puts it into that very much key worker category of people between sort of 20 and 40,000 who really even shared ownership isn't an option sometimes, to be fair. Um, they really do need a, a rented, rented good quality product. So um, I think the pandemic has highlighted, obviously, the key worker element a lot more and the ability for key workers to be at their place of work and close to their place of work to deliver the services they need to deliver. And I think maybe society as well as realise just how important key workers are to us a lot more. So, you know, if, if something good has come out of that, that means the government will put some proper policies in place so that key workers do get a priority. Um, as Olivia said, they don't really get that priority at the moment. Local authorities have... Um, you know, such a large commitment to who they need to provide housing for, and they're not generally the top of that list. Thank you very much. Um, you mentioned Olivia there. So, Olivia, let, let, let's come to you next with that, that same question. Um, actually, the, the, the first question I asked was, you know, have you seen anything as, um, you know, important in terms of pushing um, ahead with a, a recognition of how important key workers are and how important it is that they, you know, have access to affordable housing than the pandemic. Um, so I'd love to get your thoughts on that. And then also, you know, picking up on some of the the points that that Barbara made there around around stock um, and the problems that that have been faced. Um, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, the rec the recognition of key workers, and um, we fully support. And what's quite interesting is 
there's been lots of talk of an exodus of people moving out of London because we're all going to work from home. The reality for a lot of key workers is they can't work from home. They mm. need to attend their place of work. Um, and, and so the, you know, the rhetoric doesn't follow what we need from key workers. I think there's also a significant risk that, you know, if, if we, because, because there's a lot of promotion of social housing and actually, you know, lots of London has a lot of social housing, for example, Westminster, where we're centred, has got 25% social housing. Um, but it, and, and the remains 74% market housing and only 1% intermediate. And, and the market housing is way out of the affordability of, you know, median workers. So you end up with a very disparate community of two ends of a community, but actually with no one available to provide the essential services that people living in that community do. And that and at different levels is reflected um, through, throughout London. Um, I think there's another point that I wanted to, to make, and you talk about stock and how we increase the amount of homes. It, the, if Social rents are very, very low. And so delivering social homes, whilst I would never say that they weren't necessary, they're hugely necessary. It's very, very expensive for developers and they're limited in the amount that they can deliver because they're constrained by the social rents. Because intermediate rents, which key workers can afford, are higher than that, by delivering intermediate homes for rent, um, you can increase the amount of affordable homes that are delivered overall. Um, so I suppose, yeah, those are really the two points that I wanted to make. I've got a couple of statistics that um, might be uh, useful. So the, the median income for workers in London is just under 30,000 and the average price, house price is near a half a million. So you can see by just looking at those numbers that it is not affordable for those on median incomes. Um, and then I, the other thing, Barbara mentioned um, the Mayor's London living rents. And these are set by the Mayor of London um, in each ward, and they're one third of median household incomes. And if you compare those to median rents, and I've done this for the nine boroughs that Dolphin operate in, unsurprisingly, median rents are not affordable to the median earner in any of these boroughs. So what we do, there's two outcomes here. Either we create housing poverty where people are renting accommodation that either doesn't meet their housing need or doesn't leave them enough money to live on, or they're having to commute really long distances in order to get to work. And Dolphin did some research, and actually this was pre-pandemic, um, about what people thought a reasonable commute was. And this was um, a survey of over a thousand of London's renters. And the answer was less than an hour or less. Um, and another factor that came out of that um, research was um, that half of private renters aged 35 and over, so often families, are paying more than 45% of their net income in rent. And that is a thing which creates housing poverty. The, the maximum that people should be paying from their net income is, is established and agreed by the GLA and lots of the London boroughs at 40% of net income. Mm. Wow, there's a very, um, very sort of hard hitting statistics there and really sort of highlight the extent of, of the problem and in, in a very it's a very simple set of numbers as well it's a very clear cut isn't it you know that yeah. the, the, they just don't add up those figures um thank you very much for that and and tim let, let's talk a little bit more then about um something that i think um both barbara and olivia have touched on um which is it's not just about the stock it's about um you know how it's provided it's about location um you know it's a it, as olivia just said you know an, an hour is is what most people would consider a reasonable commute 
how have you guys um, addressed that? Because I know that that was because, you know, we 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 spoke to you at the, the start of your venture and we know that right from the beginning, that was something that you felt very strongly about giving people who need to be in their place of work, who can't, who don't have the luxury of being able to work from home or move out of the city to allow them to be near where they need to be. So I suppose that the luxury we have as a business is that because our properties we manage are all meanwhile, um, it means that we can offer really genuine affordable rents. So typically we're anywhere as a starting gap below 50% off the market rent on that. We've done some really interesting projects recently, which have been very client focused, where they've come to us saying we're really into um, housing key workers. And I think there's been a, a genuine trend in terms of developers looking at their social impact and ESG. And um, we've got a couple of projects we're working on at the moment where the, 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 the key workers living there, they're all NHS workers and they're all work working within a 10 to 15 minute commute maximum to there. Now, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's really interesting to look at the skill shortage we're having at the moment, in particular the care sector, which is really struggling to recruit. And if you're finding yourself in a position where you're commuting, I, I'd even say an hour commute either way. If you're working a, a night shift or, or you're working a, a long 12 hour shift in there, it is too long. Uh, you're going to struggle to retain staff. And I think there is a genuine benefit then for, for providing housing, especially in London, especially in the southeast where we do have this acute problem. Um, so. 100%. I think location is, is absolute key. And I think that we've got to recognise that roles and responsibilities need to be delivered against how close people are to where they live. And I think the further away people have to commute either side, it, plus also the affordability of transport getting to and from work is having a crippling effect in terms of the servicing um, our London in particular can provide. Thank you very much. Um, let's talk a bit about um, policy and policy solutions here. Um, you know, we mentioned, I think Olivia, you were talking about, you know, developers and um, what they're able to deliver and, and you know, delivering, um, you know, certain amounts of um, housing for them can be can be very costly um even though i think increasingly and you know and of course taking the, the onus on that very very seriously but do we you know i mean i think it would seem that we do need more support from government for all this um but is that a fair statement to make do you think that government is doing as much as it possibly could be and if not what what should we be seeing from from the next you know where should the next drivers come from so olivia let's start with you on that and then i'm going to ask barbara the same question um well, I think the first point I want to make here is that actually we've got two main political parties, one of whom promotes social housing, which, as we've discussed, key workers often can't access because they're, they're not high enough priority. And the other whom promotes home ownership, which, again, particularly in high value areas like London, key workers can't access because it's not affordable to them. And sometimes it's not just not affordable because they can't afford a mortgage. They don't have the ability to build up a deposit because their current housing costs and their current living costs are using all of their income. So I think neither neither of the main political parties support, you know, support key workers enough. Um, what do I think needs to happen? So we're looking at trying to get planning consent um, in a couple of areas. 
And in, in our housing needs statement, we didn't just use what the local authorities say are their housing needs, because that quite often comes from their social housing list, which I've said, as I've already said, is a limited number of people. We analysed the results of the census. And obviously at the time, the census was quite old, but we've just had a new census. So, uh, you know, politicians can deliver by looking at the results of the census and analysing the housing needs of their communities instead of using the social housing list. Um, and from this analysis, creating a housing and planning policy that reflects the needs of the wider population. And I firmly believe the outcome of this will highlight the need for more affordable housing for median earners, many of which are key workers. And, you know, if I'm being really, really cynical, taking going back to my first point about the two different political parties and their polarised approaches, um, you know, given the number of median earners in the population, this has got to be a vote winner. Um, and, and then for my final point, which is much more of an affordable housing uh, sector point is um, politicians put into put back into place realistic grant rates, taking into account the costs of providing the housing and the differential from market housing and the benefit that having key workers and median earners brings to a local community. Thank you very much. And Barbara, same question to you. I think from my point of view, um, some of the key elements from a policy is obviously through the planning process and Olivia's picked up on that a little bit as well um, and the fact that we need to have a clear definition of key workers and that should be the same for central government filtered out through all local authorities because the problem that we do have across London is we've got 30 three different authorities that will sometimes have a different definition of what a key worker is. So that really doesn't help either. So there needs to be a bit of consistency there. And that is difficult, as Olivia's already alluded to, in terms of um, two political parties who will come at this from very different angles. I think when you then get into some of the practical details, you know, as a um, as a provider of affordable housing, if we know that we're providing uh, a combination of London affordable rents and shared ownership on projects that we bring forward, which is um, fundamentally the two key elements that um, that Square Roots bring forward so that we we kind of use, if you like, some shared ownership to cross subsidise and, and make the, the affordable rent work. Um, to be able to actually put key workers into some of those properties and give them priority, there needs to be nominations agreements in place that all of the local authorities um, can adopt and can use where there is an element of those rented units coming forward, which are prioritised for key workers. And at the moment, that doesn't happen because of the acute need that local authorities have with everybody else in their borough that's that's seeking housing provision at the moment. Um, but having that flexibility to be able to do that would make a big difference. Of course, the problem with new supply is um, it takes a bit of time to get going. So even if you identify it today, by the time you've gone through a very... Um, difficult painful planning process um to to achieve and then actually build it you know you're talking 18 months 24 months away before you've you've got properties for people to be able to um to access so whilst we need to ramp up that supply which is really really important and something that square roots is you know fundamentally aimed at with london square backing it um the kind of stuff that tim's doing i think is really important as a temporary solution. Obviously, people want permanent solutions. They want a permanent home. They want somewhere they can put down roots where they can stay. But having some temporary solution to begin with where we can repurpose some existing buildings that are um, underused or not used at all um, is a really good way of trying to create, create a quick fix 
whilst we're bringing that supply in and those policy changes forward. Thank you very much. That's the perfect segue, really, to, to come back to you, Tim. And let's talk a bit more about what you offer. But, you know, we've we've talked a bit about um, how it works in terms of location. And you were saying, you know, a 10 to 15 minute commute for these these the key workers and the people that have to be in their place of work to do their jobs is about is about the maximum um, you would want, particularly after, as you rightly say, night shifts and 12 hour shifts, things like that. So we've talked a bit around that. But let's talk about what you actually hope to and aim to provide through the spaces because um it does take some creative thinking it does take some innovation um because this is you know a slightly different way of approaching um how people live their lives really isn't it a hundred percent and i think as barbara rightly points out um it, it it's not for everyone this type of accommodation um we see it as a uh, it's, it's a short-term solution and for a lot of um especially younger um uh, younger uh, people coming to um find affordable accommodation it, it fits in them very well unfortunately for families dependables um the opportunity that you're not going to be in one place um, for sometimes not very long time makes it quite difficult. Um, I think it's really, um, I think it's really a question of looking at what kinds of solutions we can offer. And like I said, you know, 40% of the people living with us fall into that bracket. Um, and I, I think that that's an opportunity which can grow. And we've definitely seen um, much more take up from uh, people sat on vacant um, stock at the moment looking at this kind of solution, not just in terms of the, you know, the potential short term benefits from uh, securing the buildings and the, the, the savings they make, but actually the, the, the bigger picture here. And what's really interesting is speaking with um, clients and feeding into them the data we have around who's living in their properties, their age, um, how far are they commuting to and from work. If I'm honest, I'd say the vast majority of the key workers currently in our portfolio at the moment are under the age of 35. Um, they're single, um, they're mobile. Um, if we serve them notice, they're able to relocate. So I think it, it, it fits a particular segment but I'm fully with um, both Barbara and Olivia in terms of we need a much wider scale policy around there. And really the recognition that these are value added um, people who can benefit not only society, but also the place in where they're living at the moment. Thank you very much. I'm going to pick up on that point in, in just a second. But one thing that I that I wanted to, to talk to you about, Tim, as well, is um, could you tell um, our listeners a bit more about how you make the spaces that you that you um, have to offer in sort to feel like home? How do you do that? Because, as you know, it is a different way of approaching things. It's not permanent, um, but that doesn't mean that it can't feel like a like. Oh, it sh and I'm sure it does like a safe space for somebody to be in for the period of time in which they are they're living there so we manage all different types of vacant properties um, everything from vacant offices police stations uh, old hospitals care homes uh, regeneration stock so a lot of the properties we manage um, come quite rough and ready um, the reason they're normally uh, earmarked for development is because um, they need to be redeveloped um, and so what we do is we come on board and we retrofit these spaces um, so we'll place in kitchen showers communal spaces 
And for us, the success of these schemes is about building a community of like-minded people within those spaces as well. And that's something which we've learned over the years of doing this is absolutely essential to it. But if you were to take a room with us, you would very much get a blank canvas to the space and where you are, which ensures that you have a level of creativity which comes with that. So it's really important for us, for people to come to live with us, that they buy into that space. Um, we don't furnish the spaces. So that is something which I think that, especially during the pandemic, um, we had a lot of people reaching out to us saying, you've got some vacant buildings and um, can we can we house people for a short period of time? And that was a bit of a struggle to us. So I think there are some wider opportunities in terms of how that works. But that's in essence how, how, how the um, how the spaces work. And um, yeah, and then we go from there. Thank you very much. Um, Olivia, one of the points that you that you made earlier when we were talking about policy and policy solutions was a very interesting one. You know, we've got the two main parties and on one hand, you've got a party that supports social housing and on the other, you have a party which supports home ownership. And that does leave a bit of a, a sort of a gap in the middle, um, which arguably is, you know, a, a very, very important um, gap that shouldn't be overlooked. Um, do you see any, um, I mean, hope is a strong word, <laughs> hope is a strong word because it makes it sound like we've lost it all. Um, um, which of course we haven't but what kind of progress and steps forward do you see for really addressing um you know the median earners that you're talking about and um the sort of that that area that that you know the, the focus really shouldn't be um you know completely avoiding that that sort of huge chunk in the middle of those two yeah i mean there have been some steps forward there's not been as many steps forward as I would have hoped, particularly following the pandemic. We had more hope that people would pick up on this. Um, one of the big steps forward actually has been the GLA recently did a consultation on um, intermediate housing. Um, and this is going back to the point actually Barbara made about key workers and prioritising key workers um, and London boroughs having all having different approaches. And, and part of that is actually because some London boroughs run an intermediate housing list that they put resource behind. Some London boroughs run an intermediate housing list that they don't put any resource behind or very little resource. And some don't even have an intermediate housing list. But I'm really hopeful that following the GLA consultation, um, and that included stuff about definition of key workers and this expanded definition of key workers, that something positive will come out of that to give local authorities more direction um, in, in London. You know, through the wider political agenda, I don't really see and don't haven't really seen very many movements. I think potentially um, the build to rent sector has got quite a lot to bring to this because build to rent um, accelerates the delivery of housing. Um, because it's not like the, the house builders who are releasing a certain number of houses, completed houses in order to keep, you know, keep their prices high with build to rent, you can you can build it and then release it much, much quicker. And build to rent is expanding just beyond, you know, urban locations in London to sort of multifamily housing. So I suppose there's a potential that alongside the build to rent that will enable the release of more intermediate housing because as an affordable housing category, it sits very, very well within um, build to rent developments. Thank you very much. Now, Barbara, Obviously, your career has spanned a huge number of different um, areas of the sector, you know, working for a number of sort of high profile companies um, in a number of senior roles, but also, you know, on the um, uh, on sort of the, the borough side of things as well. So you've kind of got this unique view, really, of being able to see things from more than one perspective. When we're looking at this really sort of complex problem, 
what does your you know what does your gut instinct tell you about where we're going to see things over the next you know three to five years i know it's a difficult question because no one has a crystal ball um but with all of the experience that you've got behind you working for a number of different sides of the equation where do you where do you see things going next that's a good question, Emily. And I think looking at it through sort of the three different lenses, if you like, from, um, you know, house builder, you know, providers of affordable housing, lo- local government, local authorities. Um, I think for the next three to five years, those organisations that truly want to deliver affordable housing are just going to have to find the creative solutions to deliver it, because I really don't think the political system in the next three to five years is going to help very much, as much as um, as much as I'd like to think that they are behind us. Um, and uh, certainly when they when they um, speak about it virtually, they are behind us. But putting it into practice is something very different. So I think companies are going to have to come up with cre- creative solutions to do it. Uh, companies like the company that Tim is running, um, you know, Dolphin Square, Square Roots, um, you know, we've we've brought together a developer and an investor and a housing association in one partnership so that we have a, a huge fund. And one of the key things that Olivia picked up earlier, you know, this this is really important to a lot of private companies now in terms of, you know, their their ESG um, and where they want to be in the market and how they want to be seen in terms of their um, you know, their economical and their social governance um, and how that comes forward. So there are companies out there that have capital finance that want to do the right thing, that want to back this kind of housing, um, Square Roots, London Square being one of them. Um, and there are many more out there. And I think that, you know, what we need from central and local government is just a little bit of flexibility to allow those creative companies to come forward and do what they do best and deliver the housing because the policy isn't going to get us there, I, I don't believe, in the short term. And do you think the will is there to allow that flexibility? I think it is. Um, even though we have um, two very dividing political parties, I think ultimately, you know, most of them, if you spoke to in individual councillors, I think the will is there. Um, I think there is so much that can be done with the release of public sector land as well. But, you know, that comes with a whole bunch of <laughs> criteria and diff- <laughs> difficult situations too to come forward with. Um, I do think the will's there. Um, and I think Olivia was right when she said, you know, from a political voting point of view, this is a a key group of the population that will have a very large voice um, when that comes round. So I don't think either party can ignore it. And I do think they have to do some action. But, um, you know, I've been around long enough to know that that action, um, when it comes to policy, can take a very long time to go through um, and to be approved and to start coming through in action. But there are plenty of organisations that can step up to the plate and get there before that. I've got a couple more questions for everybody, um, and I'm going to make sure that that what, whatever happens, we, we end on the more positive note. So what I'm going to do is I'm first going to ask all of you what you think, you know, not for a worst case scenario necessarily, but just, you know, how, how sort of how you see this panning out if the right steps aren't taken and if, you know, the creativity isn't allowed to flourish, twinned with this issue we've got around policy, you know, if there's a perfect storm, you know, how bad could the situation get? So that's the that's the real the sort of the really sort of negative side of it. But then I'd also like to ask you all, and this will be my final question, so you can have some time to think about it. It's sort of a broader version of the question I just asked Barbara around, you know, is the will 
to allow the flexibility there. More broadly, do you all think that there is the will across the board now? You know, do do you think that that we we've seen a a significant enough shift and that there are enough people who really really care about this now and who really want to make a difference and, and I think it was you Barbara who said want to do the right thing um, so that's going to be the final question but just before we get to that um, and not be not to be too doom mongery but I think it is important we discuss it how bad could things get if this isn't properly addressed and let's start let's start with Olivia on that um, I suppose my my fear is that particularly in somewhere like London, if we don't have enough key workers, then we won't be able to offer critical services. And the last two weeks and the shortage of petrol has shown that without critical service services, things very quickly draw to a bit of you know a bit of a halt. And at the moment, it's been petrol, which for most of us isn't life threatening. But imagine if that you know, and we're already seeing staff shortages in hospitals. Um, and you know schools struggling to recruit at times so you know I guess that is probably one of my worst fears I think as well the other bit is you know there's lots said about the benefit of broader vibrant mixed communities and you know the the impact of those and the effects of agglomeration and, and what that means and and it would be very sad if cities like London or particularly area, particular areas in the central London become very um, polarised with the you know existing social housing, which as I said in Westminster is 25%, and other boroughs is is significant proportions even higher in places like Southwark, alongside just market housing for you know the wealthy. Um, you know that isn't delivering a mixed community, and and that's not that doesn't bring the benefits that that lacks the benefits that a mixed community would bring to everybody that lives there. Thank you very much. Same question to Tim. Um, you know, how, how bad could could things get and, how, um, you know, what, what, what is the scenario that ultimately we, we desperately want to avoid? Well, I think looking back at the pandemic, there was a, a national appreciation of the amazing work our key workers um, have done. And I think it's really highlighted to people the value um, this adds on to our cities and communities. I think in particular, looking at the care sector at the moment, which is really struggling to recruit and retain staff and the impact that has, I think it's going to be very, very damaging. And in particular in London, where rents are so high in relation to wages, and in particular, it's those those key workers on less than £30,000 a year, um, which ultimately really fall into that essential bracket, which is so important we retain. If we don't have that in place, we're really going to struggle in terms of uh, delivering uh, a city and a community which which we want to be part of and it's going to have a consequence or knock-on effect on on a lot of other services i think olivia makes a really good point there about having mixed communities we don't want to have a, a a city where it's where it's black and white i think it's so important that we have um all sorts of different skills and assets to that and not having that in place will have a massive impact to it so i i think it could be very very damaging thank you very much and that same question to barbara i think emily just olivia and tim have picked up most of the key points but i guess how bad could it get well if we do have key workers that 
decide to stay in London, working in London, because, of course, they might all start moving with their feet and uh, and leave London and, and uh, you know live and work in an area where they can afford to be and they can get good quality housing if we don't provide it for them. Um, the ones that don't, of course, that do stay, that do want to be here and part of this great capital will end up in very poor quality private housing that is shared because that's all they will be able to afford to do um, for a very, very long time. And that won't actually help in terms of them developing their lives, their future families or relationships that they want to do because they literally won't be able to do that. They won't be able to afford to. There won't be enough housing to do it uh, and they won't have the incomes to be able to afford to do that either. So um, and there, there is a um, unfortunately a relatively large poor quality private sector housing within the London stock, um, uh, which probably needs addressing. And that's a different conversation for another time. Um, but that will be where people will be forced to go. And is that what we really want? for the key workers that are going to keep the city beating. I, I don't believe so. So I think we do have to find a way to provide for them. So speaking of finding a way to provide for them, we've got um, a couple of minutes left and it seems like the perfect um, time to turn our attentions to the positives. Um, and let's just have sort of that final question um, to all of you. Um, you know, do you feel in your heart of hearts that the will across the board, I mean, it's not going to be universal, of course, but the enough, enough um, sort of key players in this scenario really do believe in doing the right thing and that this has taken its place um, at the top of the agenda as it so rightly should, this issue. So let's start with you, Tim, on that. From from my personal experience, 100%. I think it's a really um, it's a really positive um, time at the moment for um, key workers, and at least in terms of the conversations people are having, be it speaking with local authorities or speaking with um, private developers, I, I genuinely believe there is a real uh, enthusiasm um, over the issue, and people want to make a difference or want to be seen to be making a difference, and. With businesses switching towards looking at their ESG uh, as a whole, we are seeing a first-hand um, change in attitudes um, towards towards this subject. So I, I'm personally really positive, and I think it's been really, you know, the one real silver lining from um, the pandemic has been that as a nation we appreciate our, our public uh, line and uh, key and essential workers. And I think there's an amazing opportunity to do something really special with it. Brilliant answer there. Thank you very much. And the same question to Olivia. Yeah, I agree with Tim um, on the ESG agenda point that corporates are bringing forward. Um, and, and I think that will start to bring, come forward and start to make a real difference. Um, I think as well, the voice of the young is beginning to be heard. You know, this is this is probably not something that impacts, or well, doesn't impact so much on on people my age and above, because we've managed to buy houses. But I think the social conscious and the housing issues are, are, the, are the two things that affect the sort of younger generation. I think the under 35s Tim talked about as, as being his main tenants, and I think that voice is coming forward. Um, and and I think politicians are starting to realise that they need to catch up on this agenda in order to remain relevant. So I think between corporates, the young and the politicians, I do think this will move forward positively. 
fantastic another really good and um, encouraging um, answer there there is hope um, and finally Barbara your thoughts on the same point yeah I, I am very positive because I think there are more and more new providers of affordable housing coming forward to the market um, like Square Roots and I do believe that it will be those providers that will ultimately you know the, the, the sector will provide the solution. I don't think we can sit on our laurels and assume that the politicians have the will to do it um, even though they say they do. I think as a sector we have to continue to lobby them all the time and point out to them what needs to be done and how it can be done and we need to show them the solutions because they don't know um, and we need to make it easy for them um, and more and more people coming into the sector providing affordable housing is going to going to achieve that so I'm incredibly positive that we can solve this problem uh, and we can bring forward more delivery um, there are lots of things we could do to help that process but the sector will find those solutions and bring it forward I'm sure Thank you very much. A trio of excellent answers there and a brilliant way to round off what has been such an important discussion, one which you've also eloquently discussed some really key issues, some problems that need fixing um, and some, you know, realistic um, ideas on, you know, how likely it is going to be for certain certain uh, sort of areas in this entire problem to actually step in and where those creative solutions are going to be needed um, it's certainly in the interim. So thank you all very much for joining me. Thank you to Barbara, Olivia and to Tim um, and we look forward to having you on our next podcast very soon. 